Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a conversation featuring fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, business, and more. My guest today is the film financier and producer, Timothy L. Christian. Our conversation is being recorded today by Zoom. Christian is a film financier and producer. He serves as CEO of Night Fox Entertainment and past president of the Nebraska Film Association. Night Fox Entertainment is a film finance and production company based in Omaha, Nebraska. Night Fox financed the Sundance hit Z for Zachariah, or Z for Zachariah for my British audience, starring Chiwetel Ejiofor, Chris Pine, and Margot Robbie. The company recently produced and financed the films Wildling, starring Belle Powley and Liv Tyler, and the CIA thriller Against the Clock, starring Andy Garcia, Diana Agron, and Justin Bartha. In the summer of 2019, Night Fox started shooting the mystery thriller Stoker Hills in Los Angeles, starring horror legend Tony Todd. The film is currently being acquired by a major distributor for forthcoming release. The company has several film and television projects in development, including 12, which is the story of Tamir Rice, the 12-year-old African-American boy killed by a Cleveland police officer in 2014. Having studied finance and economics at Pennsylvania State University, Tim Christian gained extensive experience in the entertainment industry, his start coming by interning for Grammy Award-winning music artist and producer Teddy Riley. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here with you. I feel hopelessly naive and in some ways, you know, a little ignorant, but I, I, I wonder if this is true of many people, which is, you know, we go to the cinema, we, you know, we, we stream our films on TV and we just read about the glamour and, and, and the glitz of the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, I think there's so much that goes on to the actual business side of creating a film. Yeah. You know, what, what is the genesis of a film how do you get involved and contribute to sort of bringing it to the screen? Yeah, I'll try to keep it as short as I can and still give you a good understanding of the process. Like you said, film, when you look at it, we all go to the cinema and we, we, we say, wow, this is you know, a great movie. Having no understanding of the, the real process and, and I think all the people that go into making it work. And I mean, it's a lot of people that go into making this thing work. So in a small movie, very small, let's say an independent film, you could easily have, you know, 30 to 50 people that have to collectively work together to make it work. On big films, you know, your, your Mission Impossibles, your blockbusters, it might be 300 people that, that take, you know, to make that, make that film work. But no matter what size film, it all starts with an idea. It starts with the idea. It starts with um, uh, the concept, whether the concept comes in a variety of ways. It comes uh, sometimes from a personal story that we have. Um, sometimes it comes from a, a story that's already been told that you want to retell. Sometimes it's a really important figure that you just have a passion and, and want to learn more about, right? And so as a producer, which is what I am, 
what I would look at is what what story is interesting to me, number one, but then I have to balance that with what would an audience want to see? Because I may want to see something and, and an audience may not want to see it at all. And so in that case, we have a problem. So I have to balance the two and say, what's good for me and what's good for the, the audience at large? And so once I come up with a story or an idea, and it doesn't come from just me, it comes from a variety of people that work together to find it, then what we'll do is we'll say, okay, do we think this is worth uh, making into a, a film or, or a TV show? Do we think it's worth the time to go to the next phase, which is development? And development of the, pro of the project will consist of things like uh, hiring a writer to write the script or the screenplay. It will consist of once you have a writer and you have a, a, a script, then you'll go out and you'll find uh, whether it's other producers to work alongside you, whether it's another company that you know does this kind of work and you want to partner with that particular company, you look for those things and you go into the process of, of this whole development process. And so let's say you, you, you complete that process and, and I, I've left a lot out, but we can unpack it more later, but you've completed the development process and now you have an idea which is now on paper in the form of a screenplay. So now I've got a screenplay. At that point, the hardest part comes to, to in any business, which is now you need money. And so you have this great idea, great screenplay, but you need money to make it work. So what you'll do is you'll do some things like you'll, you'll create a budget. You'll create a rough budget, a rough outline of what you think this is going to cost you. And then you hope that you can go out and you can raise the money in order to make it work. Now, as a producer, my, my hardest job by far is raising money. There's nothing that's more difficult than that because um, we're at a point in time where people are not um, just looking to give money away. You've heard of the horror stories with people and, and investing in films, and so they're scared. And so you've got to do a lot of whining and dining. You have to kiss a lot of frogs in order to find the money that you need to make it work. But assuming you find the money you need, then you now have a completed project. You have the money. Once I have the money, now I can go into the next phase, which is the actual production of the film or, or the shooting of the film. Um, that consists of three phases, pre-production, which is all of the things that go into, um, let's say, finding locations and, and casting actors and, and bringing on all the right people, the right crew. Then you go into production, which is the actual shooting of the film. And then you have post-production, which is the editing process of the film and getting it ready and getting it cleaned up. Um, once, once that process is done, and you now have this completed film, you hope that if you're fortunate, you can sell the film to a distributor. And then that distributor will then take that film out and put it in the, in the marketplace and in some capacity, whether it's on streaming, whether it's in a theater, uh, or whether it's uh, straight to, to video or, or home, home video, um, one of those areas. And, and now you've have the film out there and you hope people go see it at that point and, and uh, you hope it makes some money. So many steps on the way that I'm curious about who is making the choices, who has, as it were, the decision-making power. Mm -hmm. And that seems to split into some creative choices and then some business choices. And also it feels like each of those steps carries an immense amount of risk. So let's perhaps back up towards the beginning then, this, this creative idea, this spark. Mm -hmm. um, how does that sort of creative choice happen? In a film, you look at the producer almost like you would look at the CEO of a company. So they're, they're responsible for every aspect of this entire process. And so that's, um, that's all the hiring of the right people. That is um, obviously raising the money. 
that's making sure that that when you get to the point of finding a deal, a distribution deal, that the terms are, are, are right and that you have the deal that best represents the film in the marketplace. Um, so they're they're responsible for all that. So in the hierarchy, they're they're on top of the of the pile, if you will. And so and that's a big responsibility because as you said, you know, I've been in situations where you have at the ninth hour, an actor would would drop out. And not always because they they want to drop out. Sometimes people get hurt. You know, things happen with family where they're not able to physically participate and they have to get out of the of the film. And so all those things you have to deal with and you have to navigate and and that's what makes it what makes it difficult. But the the initial idea can come from anywhere or a variety of people. Um, and like I said, it doesn't always come from me. It comes from from others. But I will be the one that will look at it and say, OK, this is one that I think is worth taking to the next uh, the next level. And, and then we do that and, and move forward. So I wanted to sort of pause here as we sort of journey along the film production process. And for example, you mentioned distributors and getting it, actually getting it, you know, onto a screen somewhere. So I I want to get to that point too, but maybe by by way of illustration and forgive my teasing reference to Z for Zachariah or Z for Mm -hmm. Zachariah, that feels like, um, you know, got Sundance recognition, some really big name, well-known actors, uh, you know, Chris Pine, Margot Robbie, Chiwetel Ejiofor. I'm thinking, were you responsible or contributing to the choice of actor? Mm-hmm. Because you want big names at the back end that carry audience excitement? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or is this a, um, sort of a directorial, a creative decision? Or is it some blend of the two? It's, it's a blend of the two. Um, it's, al- it's always going to be a blend of, of, of both. Um, in- unless it's a situation where the actor already has, or let's say the director already has a particular actor in mind or someone that he or she works with already and they bring them to the table. But in, in that case, we got involved in that project at a later stage. So the, the talent had already been cast when we got in. At the time, it was a different actress who was actually in the role of Margot Robbie. But like we just talked about, she had an issue and she had to fall out of the, uh, fall out of the film and uh, Margot Robbie stepped in, which was great because she did a did a great job, and she's a was a really you know big name, especially then. And so um, it's a combination of it's always a combination of of a group of people that work to to make those decisions. But at the end, I will say this: at the end, the producer will make the final call as as to what he or she wants because they have the the overall idea of where they want it to go, and they have to have a long term vision. And so they'll make that final call at the end of the day. Just a point of clarity for me as the question mm-hmm. pops into my mind, what, what is the difference between when I see the credits roll, I see producer yeah. and then I see executive producer? What's, yeah. what's the difference? Um, it's funny. So it's different in film and TV. In film, the, the producer has all of the creative control and, and all of the business control for the mo- in large part. The executive producer can have some creative and some financial control, but primarily you'll see in film, they're the ones that have put up the money to make the film. So they've, they've put up the capital. They're, they're responsible uh, for that piece of it for actually getting the movie made. Now, in the TV world, we're also now doing a lot of TV and we're developing a lot of TV at this point. Um, the executive producer in the TV world is at the top of the hierarchy. He's in charge of everything. And the producer is more of a lesser title in TV. And so it kind of flips whether you're talking about TV or film. But in film... Um, you'll see the executive producer is the one who, who puts up the money um, or is responsible for putting the money together. Or it's an honorary title 
where you'll see a guy like uh, Steven Spielberg or a major producer or a major name that will attach himself to the project as an executive producer to help lend credibility to the project. I saw if they want the smoke, then yeah, it's no jokes, boy, it sucks In the end zone, that's a TD, we finessing jump Filling up the stashies and they knowin' that's a plus Back to back, highlight plays, all my moves is tough Watch them all die out, I've been killing with my lugs Feeling like a pro, I've been schooling all these rugs They be betting all us, calling plays out the books Little bit of prayer, hard work, that's all it took All I want all I want, W's and bank rolls, that's all I want. All I want, that's all I want. W's and bank rolls, that's all I want. All I want is money, power, respect, though. Can I take our foot up off they next? No. I just saw the door, yeah, we next, bro. So the film, you know, the film gets made, it's been edited and, and produced, and, and then you have this product. Mm-hmm. That's not the end of it. Now you need to get this onto cinema screens, and you need to get it onto um, you know CDs and onto people's um, you know home screens too. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like that too is not a done deal. That also is a inflection of no. risk. So how how does that? It's work? It's a huge risk, huge risk. And in fact, what what you'll see happen, I would say more times than not, you have this completed film, and people have nowhere to go with it. It just, you just have it. So you have this property, you've got nothing to do with it. That's a tough place to be in when you spent, you know, half a million or two million or three, whatever the number is, it's a hard place to be in. So there's a couple of things that you have to look at here. Number one, um, there, there's two types of, of, of pr- the process, two areas of the process. One, you have a film that has distribution built in. So they have a built-in distribution on that film. These are more of your, your traditional you know, call them studio films, where when they make that film from day one, they know that film is going to go to X amount of screens and they know it's going to be seen by a large number of people. The other side, when you talk about independent film, you don't know when you produce it, what's going to happen. So as you're going through the process of making the film, you're also going through the process of trying to negotiate deals whereby when your film is made, you have an outlet to put your film out you don't always get those deals. Sometimes people want to wait until you have a completed product and then they want to view that product. And if they like it, then they'll offer you a deal. That's a lot of risk because if they don't like it, they don't have to buy it. And you've taken all the risk. All they have to do is give you a check if they like it. But now they're buying a, a property that they know is a proven piece of work. It's, if it's good, it's good. And so it's a ton of risk for the filmmaker, not a lot of risk for the distributor. But that's, you know, the name of the game. And so you have to put out the best product you can and you have to hope that people, that people like it. Now, here's a, a misconception. Initially, you're really not making the film for the audience, right? For the broad audience. That's really not your market. Your market is the person that's going to buy the film to distribute. That's who you're making it for because if they don't buy it, no one else sees it. And so... A lot of times people don't understand the difference and it's a key difference because you have to know, you know, who you're making the, the movie for. So I'm of a generation, for example, where I can remember as a child seeing Star Wars on the big screen and it was mind blowing. But it's a, it's a cultural reference point that I think speaks to many people of my uh, you know, mindset and generation. Mm-hmm. And now I'm thinking, 
who is controlling these cultural artifacts? And it's, yeah. as you said, it's not an audience of us, society. It's an audience of very few people that decide that this is worth them investing their money into distributing. Right. So I feel a bit constricted by that. And that makes me wonder, here we are in the 21st century. We're just post-pandemic. Mm-hmm. How are these systems actually being circumvented or broken down now? What's changing about how film is produced? The production part, I think, is still the same in terms of producing it. What has changed with that is now with technology, you can do it for less money. Um, so now you can do it for less money. I mean, you can do it on, on you know, one of these guys on a phone almost and create a movie. And people have done that. In fact, there's parts of film festivals now that are dedicated to people that have produced a full-length movie on their phone, which is pretty amazing. That being said, the, the part that's changed is how the film is seen in the marketplace. And now with streaming, and by that I'm talking Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, um, you know, Paramount Plus, all of the streaming networks, it's given people more opportunity to have their film seen. Now don't get me wrong, it's very tough to get on those platforms, but it still gives you a different mechanism to look at your film. And now people are, are understanding that I don't have to be in a, in a theater. I don't have to have my film distributed in a traditional way. I can now have it distributed right to uh, our homes, uh, whether it's Netflix or whoever it is, and I can get just as many eyeballs on my film. I can make maybe not as much money, but you know, a lot of people are seeing it. I'm getting my name out there. I'm, I'm building my, my track record. And so that's the one thing that's changed. And I think it's opened the doors to a lot of different avenues, um, the streaming. And streaming is a, you know, I love it. I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. I think that it's growing every day in terms of not just the content they're looking for, but the way that streamers are, are working to make sure that they acquire content and, and put the content out. Um, so that's the thing that I think has changed more than anything is that, that part of the business. Zachariah, it's about people and their relationships, but it's set in a post-apocalyptic world right. yeah. in some ways. Yeah. Uh, Wildling is this sort of horror fantasy. Um, Against the Clock has people mentioning nano-terrorism and, and this right. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But the film you're working on now is, it, it feels much more contemporary in the sense of Tamir Rice's death. At the beginning, you'd mentioned you you wanted to pick films as a producer that spoke to you, but at the same time, you need to be able to sell it. It's a, it's a yeah. business. What do you sense is changing externally to you, but also how have you changed in what films you want to work on? So that's a great way to look at it. I, I think initially 
a lot of what I was doing and what our business was doing was, you know, you, you had to look at things that would appeal to, to, you know, particular groups of people um, in the, in the biggest way possible. And so, you know, sci-fi horror um, you know, those kind of sort of, or, or whether it's action, those kind of things appeal to larger groups of people. And, and, and if they don't, if they're not larger groups, they're, they're very niche markets that love that kind of stuff. So I had to look at that and I had to say, okay, out of the gate, that's probably a good way to, to position ourselves. But then you have to make a, a change to a certain extent and say, now we can start, you know, telling some stories that we really want to tell. But here's the thing, even still, I can't tell all the stories I want to tell. I have to work to that point. But, you know, Tamir Rice, for example, is a great representation of that because here's a story with everything that you see going on in the world with especially, you know, younger black men and women being, being shot, being killed, being kind of tormented by police in large part. That story is very timely. And um, it's a story that, it really touches a lot, touches a lot of people because the way we tell it is from the standpoint of the mother and her, her looking at this situation. So that's how it's told from her point of view, which is pretty powerful because here's her son that she sends out to play. Like we've all sent our kids out to play and um, you know, we expect them to come back, you know, at the appointed time and, and to have our son or daughter killed is traumatic. And so even if we're not, if we're not the same race, um, if we don't live in the same place, we can still relate to that that story to a certain extent. Um, and so that's what we just wanted to tell. We felt passionately about that. So those are things that are passionate, you know, for me. Um, you know, there's other stories I like to tell now, and and we have a TV show called Good Japanese Girls. And Good Japanese Girls, it's it's such a funny name, and we're actually negotiating a deal for it. Literally, as we speak, we're negotiating a deal with two different studios. But this story is about Japanese immigrants that, you know, they come to America and um, takes place in the 80s. And they, they have four daughters and they raise their daughters to be, you know, quote unquote, good Japanese girls. And so it's, it's a comedy. And you look at what does it mean to be a good Japanese girl? And to the parents who are from Japan, it means, you know, straight A's. It means we focus on school only, no boys. It means we don't discuss certain things. We're very straight laced. And these daughters are everything but those things. They're the exact opposite. And, they, and so it's funny because they're nothing like what their parents want them to be. And so you see that journey and it's a fun, fun story. But, you know, I love stories that are relatable across the board. So, you know, when I read it, I'm obviously not Japanese. I, I really don't understand that particular culture. But when I read the story, I could relate to so many things in that story. It was so much fun. And so that's what I want to do. And that's where I'm sort of evolving to is, is telling stories that you can relate to no matter who you are. And no matter what race you are, you can, you can, you can feel it and understand it and say, okay, I see the similarities in what they're going through and what our family's gone through. And so that, I think, is the, the, the evolution you're talking about. Whenever you're down, out in the cold, faithless and dark, your story's untold.
Films can be popcorn movies. They can just be just fun because entertainment is a is a totally worthy activity and experience. Mm-hmm. But also, films can occupy um, a, a really resonant cultural space that endeavor to instruct us or reveal something about who we are. A, 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 almost a moral framing, right. as it were. Yes, there's the business of this, and 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 so you need to make it successful. But in terms of that view of the films you make, are you trying to get some of your own kind of moral and ethical view of yourself in the world into this cultural space? Yeah, I mean, uh, without a doubt, I'm moving towards that. Again, initially, you know, it's it's tough to 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 do that when you when you first start. You have to sort of create a, a baseline and you have to build a reputation and, and get your name out there and do those things. And, and now that we're starting to do that, and I always say we're because it's it's not just me, it's a group of people who work together to make these things happen. And now that we're starting to do that, um, I, there's certainly things that I, I wanna talk about, like, you know, Tamir Rice is, is obviously one, um, other injustices are, are, are some, um, you know, for me, um, you know, God and, and those things are extremely important to me. That's what I try to, to live my life by. And so things that I think represent that to a certain way, I want to, I want to tell that, tell those stories and, and, and try to, you know, not necessarily project those views on other people, but, but at least open people's mind to, to see other things that are out there. And, um, and if they choose to follow those things, great. If they don't, then that's, you know, that's perfectly fine too, but at least to expose them to different things, because I think that media in general, uh, film, the the internet, publishing, it should really not just inspire us, but it should open us up to different things. And whether we, after we take a look at them, subscribe to those things or not, that's on us to make that decision, but at least it opens it up. So yes, I, I want to put certain things out there and I want to make sure that, you know, through, you know, film and other storytelling, we can we can do that. And, you know, another big thing I like is, is stories of redemption, you know, stories of the, the underdog, you know, fighting from the bottom and, and, and coming out on top um, because those are, that's relatable to all of us. We've all been there and it may not be, you know, in, in a, a sporting event like, you know, Rocky, but we've all been in a position where we wanted to do better and we've had people against us. And, and, and so, you know, to inspire is a, a huge goal of mine to inspire people and, and get them to sort of, see their best self. You're active in your church, uh, New yes. Hope Apostolic Temple, and you serve as a deacon and, and ministry leader. I don't have a sense from anything we've talked about, n- nor the films that you create, um, mm-hmm. that there's overt expression of religion as an institution or right. faith as an explicit practice. Do you find inspiration from from your faith with film and, and do your films maybe inform your faith practice? Yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, certainly yes. Um, as you said, there, there's not in, in the other films, a sort of hard hitting in your face, sort of, you know, follow this religion kind of thing, you know, because I, I never, I never want to do that either in what I do. I don't want to force, because I think that when people try to force religion um, for spirituality, down people's throat, it, it turns them away, right? It just, it doesn't, 
it doesn't work. I've learned that that, that doesn't work. What, what you have to do is you say, okay, these are the values that I hold true. This is how I live my life. These are the things that are important to me. And, and you should be able to see that in my, in my conversation. You should be able to see it when we talk. I shouldn't have to, you know, force you to believe what I believe. And then if you like those things, we'll talk about it more. And if not, then that, that's okay too. You know, that being said, there, there are some, some stories that I want to tell that I, I love that are, you know, biblical stories. You know, there's some stories that I, I want to tell that have not been told or haven't been told well, like the story of Joseph from, from the Bible. And, and just that's an underdog story. If there's ever been one, a, a young person who was, you know, essentially sold into slavery, who, who rose to become the, the prime leader or the prime minister of, of a country. I mean, that's, that's the story that it's, it's, beyond an underdog story. I mean, it's a story that we all, it's a story of redemption. And, and so I do want to tell those stories because I think they, they'd be interesting. And I think people would like them. And I think people, no matter who you are, what you believe, you're looking at a story of a person who, who's been successful. And so that's what's important to me is just being able to share and to be able to maybe get people to find you know, inspiration and, and maybe it's, they find faith in what they watch. But at the end of the day, I want to leave it to them to make a decision about their life and what's important to them. And hopefully I played a, a small part in that. And if I did, then that's, I, I've done my job. Finally don't get no, finally been riding on my way. Finally woke up with some luck in the buck. I don't give up what someone, someone say. Finally got my friends in the back on my roller. We gon' make it big one day. We gon' make it big, I say. We gon' make it be just stay in the, stay in the moment Stay in the moment with me Give you a moment to give you a moment with me Spend all the roses, spend all the roses with me Just give you a moment to stay in the moment with me You woke up from a while, haven't seen a smile since December Ripped your heart, got a brand new one since you got lost in November See it in your eyes when we leave for the night Way too many heartbreaks still on your mind Let the flame burn down for a while Let the frame blur out for a while Stay in the moment Stay in the moment with me Give you a moment to Give you a moment with me Spend all the roses Spend all the roses with me I'm someone that, you know, watches this side of the screen. But of course, like many, I, I have this visual image of how thrilling it must be and the razzmatazz and just the sex appeal of all of it, right? Mm -hmm. I just want to ask, is it is it as sexy and as exciting and as thrilling and as glamorous and as razzle-dazzle as it seems or not? Yeah, it, it has that. It has moments of that. When you're, when you're focused on the picture itself and on, on making the product, you don't get a chance to enjoy it, you know, the way that others might, because uh, you're at work, you know, so people who work in a certain industry, it might be cool. But when you're working in it, you don't get to enjoy it the same way. But to your point, yeah, it has that it has that sexiness, it has that appeal that draw people in. But I don't always get to enjoy it the way I'd, I'd like to, because you're, you know, you're trying to figure out how you're going to make this work. And when you're trying to figure out how am I going to make this particular film work, you don't have time to, you know, do all the kind of fun stuff that you, you'd like to do. So what I, what I try to do though, cause you don't want to miss the boat. You don't want to miss the, 
the the appeal and the fun of it. You don't want to work so much that you don't get a chance to enjoy the moment. So I always try to take, you know, a couple of days either on set or, or whatever to enjoy the moment, to really be in the moment and, and enjoy that. Because I always think that when you live, you know, too much in the past or too much in the, in the future, it's, life is not enjoyable. You know, you have to live in the present to a certain extent. So I try to do that and I have to make a conscious effort to do that. But it's important. And if you don't, it'll just go by you and you'll say, wow, I didn't get a chance to, to enjoy that. And I, I have to say something about that. When I, I went to Penn State, which is arguably, you know, one of the top football schools in the entire country, from my apartment, I could see the stadium. I saw the people going and the incitement and the fun. And I never went to one game as a, as a Penn State uh, person. I never went to one football game. I, I didn't go and they played Nebraska. I didn't go to Michigan. I didn't go to any of these big games. And I look back now and I say, wow, I missed a, a big experience. My first game was about two years ago, uh, a Cornhusker game that I went to. And I said, wow, for, for years, I lived right up the street from a great program. And I remember season tickets were like 200 bucks a year then. And I could have gone every, to every home game and I didn't go. So you have to live in the, you have to live in the moment and you got to take time to enjoy the place you're, you're in. Was your entry into film somewhat accidental? And, and by this, I mean, you know, you studied finance and you're in the side of film that is very much about the business creation and production of, you know, a really valuable product. And so I, I don't know if you got into this business almost accidentally, or if you've always known film, it's so exciting. That's, that's what you want to dedicate yourself to. No, I, I didn't know. In fact, I, I started off uh, doing music and in music, but on the business side of, of music. I was in L.A. back in, I don't know, 2009 or 10. And I, I just sort of um, was talking to different people who were, were doing other businesses. And one guy was, was looking to raise money for a movie. And what I didn't understand was I didn't understand how he had these great cast members involved. He had big time talent, but he couldn't find the money for the movie. I didn't understand that at that point. I said, wow, if you have, you know, Will Smith, why can't you find the money to do the movie or whoever it is? And so I had to learn, like, just because you have the talent, you still have to go out and get the money. It's very important. And so I, I fell into it accidentally in that capacity, because then I said, okay, I want to figure out how this works. And I want to figure out how I can sort of be involved but at that point, it was just in terms of helping to raise the money. It later became that I wanted to create a company and then I wanted to tell stories and, and all that. But what I, what I learned is that to me, film is the best way to um, do my first love, which is music. I can, because every film, a huge component of that is music. So I got to be a part of that, which is great. And so I get to be a part of the music aspect, but then I get to be a part of, of telling stories and those stories then can help, you know, shape, I hope shape the world in some capacity. So it just seemed like a natural fit, but it certainly wasn't something I was looking for. I didn't, I didn't go out and say, you know, I want to, I want to do film music. I knew I wanted to do in some way, but it was never film. It just became film um, through a journey and through a, a discovery process.
tell me a little bit about how you decided music was going to be this love that you wanted to pursue from a business side of things. How did you, did you actually go after this internship with, yeah. with Teddy Riley? Yeah. Well, I, I love, I, I just love music. I mean, I, I knew that I wanted to be involved in music. I, I like music. I, it's a feeling you get when you hear a great song and, and a great song is, I always tell people, you know, a, a great song come from anywhere and comes from any genre of music. I mean, I, I can look back and I, I can say um, people would expect, you know, you, you look at a particular person, you say, okay, they like a particular kind of music, but music comes from, comes from anywhere. And I like all kinds of music, whether it's R&B or jazz or country or pop or hip hop, you can find great music in all of those things, all those areas. And so I knew that I wanted to be involved in that in some way. And what I also knew is I, I had no talent in front of the microphone. So I knew I couldn't, I couldn't do that. So I said, okay, what else can I do? And how else can I be involved? And so I said, all right, there's a lot of, there's a lot of business things that are involved in this. I can do that. Or I can still be creative, maybe in A&R, which is artist and repertoire and finding talent and nurturing talent, which is what I ended up doing. What I knew is uh, I, I had to find a business way to get involved in this. Fortunately for me, I had a mentor who was connected with Petty Riley. And I asked him if he could make a connection and, and, and set me up. I still had to go through a process and interview and work hard to get it. But, you know, you, you need a, a way in. And he provided that way in. And uh, I ended up, you know, going through that process and getting a, an internship with Teddy Riley. And, and that was a great experience to, to have that. What was Teddy Riley doing when you were jumping on board? He was doing, in fact, uh, Michael Jackson's album, Invincible which, um, you know, as, a, as an intern, I had a chance to, to, to be a part of and, and be in the sort of fly on the wall in that process. This is, you know, 2001 timeframe. So this is, you know, after the creation of obviously New Jack Swing and, you know, Teddy's height was his, the height of his success, I would really say was probably like 1988 to, you know, 94, 95. And he kind of cooled off a little bit and then with the Invincible album, Michael Jackson, that sort of, you know, made him made him hot again. But, um, you know, that time he was still doing a lot of a lot of artist music, um, whether it was like Michael Jackson, whether it was, you know, Janet Jackson or, or Jay-Z or a lot of I mean, so many people. And there's always so many people in the studio. And he was re responsible for a lot of artists that came out and producers um, that came out. But I got a chance to just learn the business and I got a chance to learn about what it takes to find an artist and, and how to, how to work with the artist, how to nurture artists. And, and also I learned a lot about how to actually engineer music. So I would learn the, the engineering process, which wasn't, you know, something I, I necessarily wanted to do. I wasn't trying to be an engineer, but just that process to learn it and to understand how a song is recorded much like in film, there's a process and in music, there's a process and to be able to go through that and learn that was a, a great experience for me. I, I built a lot of relationships that I then took with me that I even use today in, in the film world. So it's, it's been helpful and it was a huge help to me and, and just an experience that I'm, I'm very thankful for. Street. 
we were just chatting off air about the state of film from a financial perspective and also from from the perspective that not only can it be exciting to us culturally but it can also say something and contribute something to our sense of community and local place and so we were chatting about some of the work most notably in in this area in in the midwest you'd think about mm-hmm. people like alexander payne for example right but it also requires that other levers in the economic aspect of filmmaking need to be sort of pushed and pulled and that includes support from state and local governments around tax incentives and these kind of right. things i know that you're active in that regard because you call you, you work all over the world but you live and base yourself in the midwest and right. so what is happening with policy support for filmmaking yeah. and what are you hoping for well right now there's not a lot of, of of policy support for filmmaking in nebraska in particular what we do have here which is good is we have certain cities fremont is one norfolk is is another where they they've put together not necessarily a fund but pools pools of money that filmmakers can use to um, offset production costs. So that's a helpful thing, but it's not a state incentive or really a, you know, a government incentive. This is more of a, of a city by city sort of thing that they put in place through local government. What we need, in my opinion, is a overarching policy that would make filmmaking cost-effective for filmmakers here in our state. So, you know, if I, shoot a movie here for $1 million, we should have some sort of incentives that, you know, I would get back 30 or or 40% of my spend from the budget if I use it on things like hiring people from Nebraska or putting them in hotels here or those kind of things. That's not just good for the film and for the for the producer of the movie. That's good for the economy of the of the state. It does help to drive revenue. And it's not just, you know, me saying that because I want that. If you look at historically what's happened in places like New Orleans, Louisiana, um, Georgia, uh, New York, New Mexico, they can show how film incentives have dramatically impacted in a positive way the economy of that particular state. Not only that, but then it drives people to your state and it gives your state more notoriety. And so, you know, my goal is that we'll, we'll continue to uh, lobby and continue to, to do the work in order to get incentives passed. And a lot of that, you know, does start from uh, the governor's office. I mean, just quite frankly, and getting them to have an understanding of the value of film. Without that, it's going to be a tough battle, but we're going to keep, you know, we're going to keep fighting it. And people like Alexander Payne has been helpful. Mauro Fiore, who is also uh, lives in in Omaha, who is the um, director of photography for, you know, big, big films, X-Men and Avatar. And he lives right here with us, Academy Award winner. And so we're out trying to get it done. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, I think in the next three to five years, we can see some some really positive results and we can see an, a statewide incentive for, uh, for film. What's the main reason why a Republican state, you know, a, a supposedly business-leaning state, can't see that the numbers add up and that this makes good business sense. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe because film is is looked at as more of a liberal um, industry. I mean, that could be part of it. Um, I don't know that for a fact, but I'm, you know, that's maybe why. 
Um, because if you look at the, the hard numbers, you can't deny the hard numbers. And um, it, again, it's proven. You can look at other states and see the, the economic impact. You can see it. And so I think maybe we're, we're very conservative. We, we don't want to sort of let that piece out. And um, we think that maybe it'll put us in a bad light for whatever reason. People who know better know just the opposite. And in fact, it'll help, help the state. How did your company get the name Night Fox? Everybody asked that question. And my answer uh, surprises everyone. But it comes from a movie, to be honest with you, which is Ocean's 12. And in Ocean's 12, there's a character in there called the Night Fox. And um, I just, I like the character. And so I thought it was a cool name. And so I named it after, after that. So it's not, a, it's not as deep as people might, might think but it comes from a, a name of a character in the film. And, um, and I like the way it sounded and I, I like the name. Okay, so I can't let that be my last question then if yeah. everybody asks it. So I, I, I'm going to ask you then, so um, you love music. Is there a song or an artist that perhaps, I don't know, is the soundtrack for your life? Boy, that's one that I, I have never been asked that one. And I'm trying to think of a, of a, of a song. Um, oh, man. I have so many songs that are twirling in my head and I'm trying to think of which one. Well, let me say this. I, I don't have one in particular that I can give you. Uh, I'll give you an artist and, and I'm doing this for two reasons. One, I, I like the artist. He makes great music. Um, and, and two, we're doing a TV show based on his life right now, which, which we think is going to be a phenomenal show. But it's the rapper and his name is Notorious B.I.G., and we're doing a, a limited series based on his life right now. Uh, we're developing it. And we have a lot of people in, interested in it. But, um, you know, his, his music is one that he speaks to so many people with his music. And the cool thing about it is he, although he, he spoke about certain things, he never really lived that particular lifestyle to the degree that he spoke about it. What he did was he told other people's stories through his music. And I, I just like that because this is a guy who he grew up with, you know, a good mother and he grew up in a, in a, um, going to, you know, private school. Um, but yet he talked about things that were so hard hitting. I just think that's an interesting take on his life. Uh, but, but he's an artist that I, I like, and I, I think he's got music that, um, speaks to a lot of people and certainly speaks to me. My guest today has been the film financier and producer, Tim Christian. Tim, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Stuart. I've enjoyed being here. It's a great answer to an impossible question. It was um, a tough one, tough question. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Hell, that's hell. My apologies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of this week's show. You can listen again to this show and others by subscribing to the podcast at livesradioshow.com and find us on social media at livesradioshow. The music playing you in and playing you out each week was created specially for the show by Andrew Bailey. 
I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden, and this is Live's radio show and podcast. Join me next week for fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, and more. Thank you.